content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our May 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? A program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. The Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that later in the program. This program is all about books, with special emphasis on those available from the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library has more than 11,000 patrons across the state. And if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have more information at the end of this program. This month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of April at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. Now we're going to begin the program with a book entitled The Daniel Prayer, Prayer That Moves Heaven and Changes Nations by Anne Graham Lotz, who of course is uh, a daughter of uh, the late Billy Graham, much-loved Billy Graham. Best-selling author of Anne Graham Lotz will teach you how to pray effectively for your nation, your families, and for yourself. Many people today find that their prayers don't work. And like a broken cell phone, DVD player, or TV remote, they throw prayer out as unnecessary clutter in their busy lives. Anne Graham Lotz has found that while prayer does work, sometimes the prayers don't. So she has turned to the prophet Daniel for help. The Daniel prayer is born deep within your soul, erupts through your heart, and pours out on your lips. Words created by and infused with the Spirit of God, quivering with spiritual electricity. It's really not an everyday type of prayer. It's a prayer birthed under pressure, heartache, grief, desperation. It can be triggered by a sudden revelation of hope. An answer to prayer, a promise, Freshly received, a miracle that lies just over the horizon. Join Anne in a thrilling discovery of prayer that really works. For extended study, the Daniel Prayer Message, Anne has also created the Daniel Prayer Video Study and a Study Guide, and that is actually available now. It sounds pretty interesting. It's called The Daniel Prayer, Prayer That Moves Heaven and Changes Nations by Anne Graham Lotz. And that was uh, number one, the most popular book at the Library for the Blind this past month. Our next book is called Last Seen Wearing by Hilary Waugh. And we have a very brief summary here, but I think it's worth uh, communicating to you because it was so popular this past month. 18-year-old Lowell Mitchell leaves her Friday morning history class and goes back to her room. Her roommate talks to her as she lies on the bed with her arm across her face. 
That is the last time she is seen. And 12 hours later, the Bristol police are involved. Again, that book is called The Last Seen Wearing by Hilary Waugh. The next book I want to talk about is called A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem by Manda Collins. An intrepid female reporter matches wits with a serious, sexy detective and award-winning author Manda Collins' fun and flirty historical rom-com. It's set in England, 1865, as one of England's most notorious newspaper columnists, Lady Catherine Bascombe, believes knowledge is power, and she's determined to inform and educate the ladies of London on the nefarious and deadly criminals who are preying on the fairer sex. When her reporting leads to the arrest of a notorious killer, however, Catherine flees to a country house party to escape her newfound notoriety, only to witness a murder on her very first night. And when the lead detective accuses Catherine of inflaming rather than informing the public with her column, she vows to prove him wrong. Detective Inspector Andrew Eversham's refusal to compromise his investigations nearly cost him his own career, and he blames Catherine. To avoid bad publicity, his superiors are pressuring him to solve cases quickly rather than correctly. When he discovers she's the key witness in a new crime, he's determined to prevent the beautiful widow from once again wreaking havoc on his case. Yet, as Catherine proves surprisingly insightful, and Andrew impresses Catherine with his lethal competency, both are forced to admit the fire between them is more flirtatious than furious. But to explore the passion between them, they'll need to catch a killer. Sounds like an interesting and fun book, A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem, and that was written by Manda Collins. Now, our next book for this month is one entitled Upstairs at the White House, My Life with the First Ladies by J.B. West. It's a fascinating behind-the-scenes look at life on Pennsylvania Avenue with America's First Families by the man who spent nearly three decades right there in their midst. J.B. West, chief usher of the White House, directed the operations and maintenance of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and coordinated its daily life at the request of the president and his family. He directed state functions, planned parties, weddings and funerals, gardens and playgrounds, and extensive renovations, and, with a large staff, supervised every activity in the presidential home. For 28 years, first as assistant to the chief usher, then as chief usher himself, he witnessed national crises and triumphs and interacted daily with six consecutive presidents and first ladies their parents, children, and grandchildren, and house guests, including friends, relatives, and heads of state. 
In Upstairs at the White House, West offers an absorbing and novel glimpse at America's first families, from the Roosevelts to the Kennedys and the Nixons, alive with anecdotes ranging from the quotidian Lyndon B. Johnson showerheads to the tragic, the aftermath of John F. Kennedy's assassination. West's book is an enlightening and rich account of the American history that took place just behind the Palladian doors of the North Portico. Again, that book is called Upstairs at the White House, My Life with the First Ladies by J.B. West. The next book we're going to hear about on this program is entitled Written in the Stars. It's a novel by Alexandria Bellfleur. And uh, I'm going to read here a review that was written by Denny S. Bryce, who herself is a historical fiction writer and uh, who uh, whose first novel, Wild Women in the Blues, is coming out this year. But um, anyway, Denny Bryce is the reviewer, but the author of this book, Written in the Stars, is Alexandra Bellfleur. Written in the Stars by debut novelist Alexandria Belfler is a queer romance about two women with opposing life goals and very different personalities who stumble into a fake relationship that should have come with a warning. Love is right around the corner. You just wait and see. The brightest stars of Written in the Stars are its engaging main characters who pretend to be dating to keep their respective family members from interfering endlessly with their lives. L. Jones is a 20-something professional astrologer who, along with her roomie, Margot, runs Oh My Stars, a popular horoscope account on Twitter and Instagram. They're also the authors of a yet-to-be-released book on the same topic, and are just about to sign on as consultants to a dating app called OTP. But Elle's family is not keen on her dropping out of grad school to pursue a career as a social media astrologer. They make her feel like an outsider, and her career choice only reinforces her family's concerns about her maturity and her future. On the other hand, Elle does have the confidence of Brendan Lowell, the owner of OTP. By the way, the acronym means One True Pairing in fan fiction. Who wants to hire Elle and Margot to add astrology birth dates to his app's algorithm. Both Darcy and Margot secretly love fan fiction, a fact that gets revealed later in the story to a heartwarming effect. Now, while the ink dries on the OTP agreement, Brendan learns L is bisexual and single. And since his life mission is to fix his sister Darcy's love life, he arranges an introduction between L and Darcy. Darcy Lowell works in the insurance industry and is focusing on her professional certification exam. But more importantly... She's avoiding dating in the wake of a terrible breakup. She discovered her soon-to-be bride and supposedly perfect match in bed with one of their mutual, now former friends. The event left Darcy unhinged. Now she believes she's happier and emotionally safer on her own, watching daytime soap operas and climbing the corporate insurance ladder. 
Well, in the opening, a mistaken identity meet cute nails, the opposites attract storyline, and one laugh-out-loud scene that centers around a glass of wine. Despite the apparent failure of their first meeting, Elle and Darcy have chemistry. And when the notion of faking a relationship comes up, both agree to the charade. Still, both also fear the inherent dangers of getting too close or not getting close enough. From this point, the story moves along at a decent will-they-won't-they pace. Now, when Belfleur gives you opposites, she means it. Elle is a romantic and a risk-taker and aims for happy ever afters, despite a a very shaky track record. Darcy no longer believes in romance and seeks every opportunity to avoid it. Uh, Just so you'll know, Darcy drinks expensive wine, and Elle is a a wine-in-a-box gal. Written in the Stars has two often-used rom-com tropes, opposites attract and fake relationships, and the center of its story. This does not risk a predictable plot, but Belfleur uses her tropes not only as obstacles to romance, but as a means to fill in the gaps in her characters' personalities. We get to know these women, they're getting to know each other, on a journey through double dates. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and more. Lots of fun moments reinforce all the ways these two could work together if they pay attention. Despite their differences, despite the obstacles that should keep them apart, Elle and Darcy not only find a way to be together, but their journey is so rich, so embedded in who they are, we can't help but root for them. Well, despite their differences, despite the obstacles that should keep them apart, Elle and Darcy not only find a way to be together, but their journey is so rich, so embedded in who they are, that we can't help but root for them. It's also educational. They model the way a strong relationship can work, which is always a good read. Some of the book's other highlights include its use of text messaging, which never looks so good on the page, The use of emojis and text etiquette, combined with a regular listing of astrological updates from Elle and Margot's Oh My Stars, kept engaged as I checked to see how my zodiac sign fared when these lists popped up. Also, the fan fiction mentions made me happy as a former okay, sometimes current, peruser of fan fiction. You bet I noticed them. And the phrase OTP has never been so aptly applied. A delightful, heartwarming romance, Belfleur's novel shows eloquent how two characters can fall in love more deeply than either dared to dream. So, whether you follow astrology or not, Written in the Stars has the reading you won't want to miss. Once again, that is a review that was written by Denny Bryce, a writer of historical fiction, who has her first novel coming out this year. That book, once again, is entitled Written in the Stars by Alexandria Belfleur. (laughs) 
And you're listening to Heard Any Good Books Lately, a monthly presentation of the North Carolina Radio Reading Service. I'm George Douglas, your reader for today, and uh, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you're enjoying the program. Let's move on to our next book now. It's called The Cruelest Month by Hazel Holt. And uh, I'll begin with a quote from Publishers Weekly magazine here. Sheila Mallory finds herself once again in idyllic Oxford doing research at the Bodleian Library and once again thrust into an investigation when an unfortunate accident kills a particularly loathsome woman who was probably also a blackmailer. A civilized and tantalizing mystery. And those are the words of Publishers Weekly. Now, here's the plot. The death of a decidedly unpleasant librarian in Oxford's new Bodleian stirs Sheila Mallory, first met in Mrs. Mallory Investigates, to probe the present and her personal past. Sheila's godson, Tony, who works at the library, finds Gwen Richmond crushed under some collapsed bookshelves. There are indications that Gwen may have been a blackmailer, and murder is a distinct possibility. Among the suspects, all once threatened by Gwen, are the girl Tony is in love with, who stole, then returned, a valuable book, and a woman, Don, who took an important artifact from an archaeological dig. Sheila reencounters Trinity Don Rupert Drummond, who had significantly influenced her life when she was an Oxford student, but also had unhappy ties to the dead woman. But it is the past, as recounted in Gwen's diary about her farm work as a land army girl during World War II, that provides the key to the murder and forces Sheila to re-examine what she had considered a happy time in her life. Holt's civilized and tantalizing mystery evokes both modern Oxford and rural wartime England. Again, that is a novel by Hazel Holt, and it's called The Cruelest Month. Now let's take a look at another book called The Sanatorium, and this is by Sarah Pierce. And the headline on this one is, You won't want to leave until you can't. Let's see what that means. Here's the plot. Half hidden by forest and overshadowed by threatening peaks, Le Sommet has always been a sinister place. Long plagued by troubling rumors, the former abandoned sanatorium has since been renovated into a five-star minimalist hotel. An imposing, isolated getaway spot high up in the Swiss Alps is the last place Ellen Warner wants to be. But Ellen's taking time off from her job as a detective, so when her estranged brother Isaac and his fiancée, Laurie, invite her to celebrate their engagement at the hotel, Ellen really has no reason not to accept. Arriving in the midst of a threatening storm, Ellen immediately feels on edge. There's something about the hotel that makes her nervous. And when they wake the following morning to discover Laurie is missing, Ellen must trust her instincts if they hope to find her. 
When the storm closing off all access to the hotel, the longer Lori stays missing, the more the remaining guests start to panic. Ellen is under pressure to find Lori, but no one has realized yet that another woman has gone missing, and she's the only one who could have warned them just how much danger they are all in. Sounds like a great murder mystery to me. It's called The Sanatorium, and it was written by Sarah Pierce. Here's another one that was very popular this past month at the uh, North Carolina Library for the Blind. It's called Not So Pure and Simple by Lamar Giles. Boy gets hard lessons on dating, friendship, and toxic masculinity. That might be considered the headline for this particular story. Here's the plot. Delbert Rainey Jr. has never been great at dating. He's been in love with the same girl since kindergarten, Kira Westing, but has never made a move. And despite his legendary reputation, thanks to an infamous basement party, he is still a virgin. When Kira and her boyfriend break up, Dell seizes the opportunity, even if it means accidentally joining the first missionary house of the Lord's Purity Pledge. Now, that was created after nine teens at Green Creek High School became pregnant sparking pregnancy-packed conspiracy theories. Additionally, the high school has changed its abstinence-only sex ed elective, and Dell, enrolled by his parents, is surprised to see parallels, but with advice framed as polar opposites. Dell's naivete and missteps are wonderful character flaws, and readers will laugh out loud as he plays spy in his high school class for his fellow purity pledgers. When a teen mom fights back at the Baby Getters Club label they've been given and creates her own hashtag, members of the community, including Dell, have to face up to the double standards and inappropriate behavior boys get away with and are even encouraged in. The novel takes on teen attitudes towards sex and relationships and gender power dynamics in a way that is appealing and thought-provoking. All of the main characters are black. Again, this book is called Not So Pure and Simple, and it was written by Lamar Giles. And our final book on this May program is nonfiction, and it sounds like a really good one to me. It's entitled Lincoln on the Verge. 13 Days to Washington by Edward L. Widmer. So much has been written about Abraham Lincoln that it's rare when a historian discovers an episode in his life that, if fully developed and interpreted, yields important new insights. Ted Widmer has done just that in his superb new book, Lincoln on the Verge, 13 Days to Washington. It's ostensibly about the train trip the president-elect took from Springfield, Illinois, to the nation's capital. It's, in fact, about how Lincoln and his fellow Americans came to know and trust one another, an experience that profoundly shaped his presidency. In February 1861, Southerners feared that Lincoln's election meant the end of slavery, 
and their way of life, talk of succession and civil war was rampant. Northerners rejoiced at the election's outcome. While fearing that it could lead to the country's disillusion, they looked to Lincoln for reassurance. Widmer, a historian at the Macaulay Honors College of the City University of New York, spent 10 years applying his impressive talents as a researcher and storyteller to explain how our 16th president used a 13-day train trip to introduce himself to his fellow citizens and to prepare himself for the greatest crisis in the nation's brief history. The issue of slavery, most believed, would determine future events. Though his views were well known, Lincoln adopted a strategy of silence during the campaign and now through the four-month interregnum. But the Republican platform was an unequivocal, unequivocal, slavery must not be extended beyond the states where it already existed. That was the rock that now loomed before the ship of state. Widmer writes, as their next president, Lincoln believed he must calm anxious citizens, but the Constitution left him no means to do so. Lincoln chose to use his train trip as the vehicle for connecting with those who elected him. Widmer demonstrates a deft ability to relate Lincoln's circumstances to those of others in the nation's past. He quotes George Washington as feeling like a culprit who is going to the place of his own execution on the eve of his inauguration back in 1789. But his long trip from Mount Vernon to New York had helped to make his presidency real to the people. Now, in order to save the country, Lincoln needed to summon all of his strength for an even longer journey. And he needed to get there quickly while there was a country left to save. In plotting his route, however, speed was not his priority. Political sagacity was. He insisted on visiting the capitals of the five essential states that had elected him, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey. If hostilities broke out, He would need them to provide the manpower to deal with it. On February 11th, an emotional Lincoln bid an affectionate farewell to 2,000 friends before the presidential special headed out. Hundreds and then thousands lined the tracks trying to catch a glimpse of the man who embodied their hopes. These were Lincoln's kind of people, in Widmer's telling, And he reached out toward them every few miles, waving or bowing or shaking hands or saving a few quick words, sometimes from a train that slowed but did not stop. As Lincoln had plotted his route strategically, so too does Widmer with his writing. His creative structure and new research offers compelling diversions about some of the people and history the president-elect encountered. Included are past and future presidents, as well as the slaughterhouses of Cincinnati and the nauseating corruption of Albany. Every place had someone or something distinctive, and Widmer invariably finds it. At the end of the 13 days, his odyssey was complete. Days later, Lincoln arrived at the Capitol for his inauguration to speak of the better angels of our nature. 
Widmer has written a revelatory work about an important but underappreciated episode that placed Lincoln on the verge of developing the confidence and courage to become America's greatest president. His book could also be on the verge of becoming a Lincoln classic. Once again, it's called Lincoln on the Verge, 13 Days to Washington by Edward L. Widmer. And that's all the time we have for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately. I'm George Douglas. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, simply Google or search the North Carolina Library for the Blind. You can call toll-free 888-388-2460. You can also... Use those same numbers and website to join the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped. It is that wonderful organization that sponsors this monthly feature on books. This program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Heard any good books lately will be available right after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. So long until next time. Mm-hmm.